Welcome to Kishwaukee Bible Church. I would invite you to take your Bibles and open them to the book of Acts. This is your first Sunday here. We're studying the book of Acts, and we are in Acts 17. Making our way thought by thought through this book. We're in Paul's second missionary journey as he makes his way into uh, Thessalonica and, and eventually into Athens. It's a powerful section. And uh, I was thinking this the, actually last night a little bit about a couple of uh, opportunities I had as a Christian to uh, stand for the faith and, and be uh, bold in, in my testimony and how in both cases I blew it. Um, some of these stories are, you've probably heard them or might remember them, but one of them was, uh, you know, years ago I worked for public, in a public high school and uh, I was in the teacher's cafeteria having lunch, sitting around the table and uh, as we're sitting there, uh, there was another guy at the table who was a Christian and uh, one of the gym teachers begins to tell this really off-color joke, really bad joke, and, you know, and, and, and he's telling this joke to intentionally provoke this guy at the table who's a Christian. And he's really kind of pushing this thing hard. And the guy who was a Christian just gets up and, and walks away. I was sitting there, and, and I was just thinking, this is just a horrible joke. And I just kind of put my head down and started eating because I was just really timid. I mean, to be honest with you, it's like I was just like, I just wanted that moment to go away, and, and I just did not have, you know, courage. It was, you know, even though I'm working in a high school, it was like high school again, you know, the jocks at the table bullying everybody, right, you know. And so, so you're sitting there, and... Uh, and I just kind of got my head down. He gets up. The Christian guy gets up. He's older than me. Walks away. And, and, the, and the guy telling the joke goes, where are you going? In a real kind of mocking voice. And, and he said, you know, I just don't want that thought in my mind all day. That was his answer. I just don't want that thought, you know. I think he said something like, you know, I'm a Christian. I just don't want that thought going around in my mind all day. And I remember thinking, oh, wow. That's a great answer. I wish I would have done that. You know, but I was scared. I was timid. Another situation I thought of last night was uh, I knew somebody uh, one time who was a New Age Christian scientist. This is a long time ago. I was maybe 20 years old. This guy was New Age Christian scientist, and, uh, and he had all these kind of just wacky ideas about God and the Bible, and, and, uh, and, and I would, was trying to evangelize him, but really what I was trying to do was, was argue with him and win a debate. And so I would just get in these long arguments about things. And we would just debate and spar. And, and I would say things, and he would counter it, and I would counter it. And it was just exchanging punches. And I thought, you know, if I could just get that theological knockout, this, you know, I'm not quite sure. I really wasn't interested in his conversion. I was interested in winning. And, it, and it's interesting because I thought about those two experiences because um, as I was thinking about Paul, and I was thinking about the book of Acts, the thought crossed my mind that, that there are three we see this in Acts. There are three different environments that we're going to constantly be, be engaging in as believers. And in these three environments, these environments sometimes can, can create pressure for us. Pressure on how to respond because these environments are, are very powerful environments. The first environment that we can find ourselves in as Christians is a hostile environment. Kind of like that lunch table there that I was in. It's a hostile environment where people are opposed to the gospel. And sometimes in a hostile environment, when people are opposed to the gospel, it makes you timid. 
You start thinking, wow, these guys are just going to come at me and I, I want to back off a little bit. And, and you get afraid. You get afraid to take a stand. In fact, you know, at that moment, for me at least, I'll tell you what, what my fleshly tendency sometimes in those moments is, I just kind of want to blend into the woodwork. I just don't, I don't want you to notice me, right? Because it's hostile and, and I don't want to be in a hostile environment. And so you can get timid. There's a second environment, which is the cool, the fun environment, and that's a receptive environment where people are open and, and engaging and talking, and, and those are just fun. Those are great. But then there's a third environment. The third environment is a religious environment. And a religious environment is kind of like my New Age Christian scientist friend, where sometimes the temptation is, is, is to debate because these people have come up with an alternate truth, an alternate gospel. And so they're presenting their alternate gospel. You're trying to present truth. And now you decide, I'm going to take them down. I'm going to read every book on New Age Christian Sciences. I'm going to be prepared. I'm going to be armed, you know. And you can get that way. Even, you know, somebody comes knocking on the door, you know. We have lots of people that come knocking on your door in the summertime with their, with their religion. And they're trying to, to win you. And you want to stand and go, oh, I'm going to read a book, man. And when they come, I'm going to be ready for them. And you start getting engaged in like an argumentative manner. And that can happen sometimes. And it's interesting how those environments can cause us to change our responses to things. Hostile environment might make us back off. Religious environment might make us step up and debate. The receptive environment, really the bigger issue there probably if, if we're trying to identify a problem, is maybe just being lazy, not being available, not being out there enough when we're, where people's hearts are open and receptive to the truth. But, you know, the issue for us as, as Christians, and I know for me, and I, I'll just say this, the reason why I was reflecting on these things is one of the passages of Scripture that God really used in my life to help me with both timidity and debating, which were, you know, I was either in one extreme or the other. I was either completely backing down or completely gearing up. And I was living in those two extremes. One of the passages that really helped me is Acts 17. And, and this passage, literally, if I, you know, obviously the whole Bible is profitable, but probably all of us have passages of Scripture that God really touched us with and really helped us and things that, things that, you, can, that, that you remember, that you cling to. Acts 17 is one of those for me. When I was, I, I remember, uh, actually was this dealing with this New Age Christian scientist that I said, I really want to study the book of Acts. How did the first church the you know, first missionaries go out and share Christ. And, and I began to study Acts, and I remember hitting this chapter, and it really helped me understand something really powerful. It was a big aha moment for my life. And, and the aha moment was this. The gospel doesn't change. It, it, it's not about the environment. It's not about whether they're hostile or, or receptive or, or religious. There's a body of information. There's a body of truth that I have. And this body of truth is wide and deep and it's got breath to it that is amazing. And if I can really understand that body of truth, then I'm equipped whether it's hostile or whether it's not. And I realized I was going the wrong way. I was trying to prepare for a hostile culture. I was trying to prepare for a religious culture. I was, you know, I was trying to get up. Okay, how do I get more courage or, or how do I beat these people down more? And I realized I'm going the wrong way. Because I, this passage challenged me to see something completely different. And so I can't wait to share this with you. Both this week and, Lord willing, next week, as we put the whole thing together, I want you to see the incredible power of the gospel, the depth of it, and 
maybe push us to see the gospel in a little broader, deeper, and wider sense. The problem I had is that my gospel was too narrow. My gospel was too narrow, and and therefore, I wasn't prepared to engage. But Paul, the way he presented the gospel was a way I had never, ever thought about before. And when I saw it in this text, it, it radically transform my mind. And so this week, we're going to get introduced to it. Lord willing, next week, we'll kind of seal it up. At the end, I want to give you some practical tips today and next week to really push this further, because I think this passage will be a blessing to you. And so you can see your outline if you have a bulletin. We're going to see the church in a hostile culture, the church in a receptive culture, the church in a religious culture. And, uh, and I want you to see this expansion, and, and I want to point out some things along the way that were, were ahas for me as I studied it, and I hope that they, they help you and, and shape you and, and prepare you to recognize that the focal point is on understanding the gospel so that it doesn't matter. We can move between these cultures, and we're always equipped. We're always equipped. So let's look here. I'm going to read a big chunk of the story. The first nine verses here of Acts 17 begins this way. It says, Now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in, as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, and saying, This Jesus, whom I proclaim to you, is the Christ, or is the Messiah. Remember, you see the word Christ, just insert in your mind Messiah. He is the Messiah. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks, and not a few of the leading women. But the Jews were jealous, and taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob, set the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, these men who have turned the world upside down, isn't that a great statement? These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also, and Jason has received them. And they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar saying that there is another king, Jesus. And the people and the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. And when they had taken money as security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. They had to pay bond to get out. So Paul now is moving from Philippi, making his way to Thessalonica. Thessalonica is an important city because it's the capital of the region of Macedonia. And in this city is hostility. There's hostility in the city towards the gospel. You can see it there. But let's just unpack this a little bit. Let's, kinda, let's just kind of unpack the reality of this, what, what happened here. So Paul has a custom. What's his custom? He has a method to his ministry, right? What is his method? His method always is to go to the synagogues. We saw that there. Why does he go to the synagogue? We've talked about this in the past, and we're going to see this all throughout Paul's ministry. And Luke's going to keep saying, as was his custom, he went to the synagogue. Because, and the reason why he went there is the synagogue was a place where there were Jews, and Gentiles who had embraced Judaism. And every Sabbath day, they would have the word of God preached to them. Remember, the synagogues came up during the Babylonian captivity. Once they were driven out of Jerusalem and they couldn't worship at a temple anymore, they created these little worship centers along the way. In the worship centers, they would sing and have the word of God proclaimed to them. The early formation of the church and much of the way we do church is based on the synagogue model. Singing and and then a teacher coming and teaching. Right? It's, just, it's, it's kind of what happened there. Paul would want to go there. Why would he go there? Because one of the things Paul would never do 
or didn't do unless God drove him into it, is Paul would not, when he'd go to a village, uh, you know, a region, he would not try to go to the most extreme situation first. He would try to find some people who had some foundation in the scriptures so he could teach them, so that he could show them something. Because then, once those people embraced it, he would form them into a church, and it was that church that would begin to reach its community. Because in the church, he formed a counter-community. He formed people who were loving each other, caring for each other, forgiving each other, going through all the things that, that are part of the community of the church. And in that, in that counter-community, they would engage their community. So this is what he would do. That was his method. He never changed his method. It's what he always did, unless God changed it for him, which we saw last week he did in one case. But other than that, that was his method. Why? Because he wanted to begin with the scriptures. He wanted to establish the gospel from the scriptures. Not from a personal story, not from just a testimony. Oftentimes in our culture, because of the way things go, some people think, you know, just, well, we don't want to start with the Bible. We want to start with a story about myself, and then people would see Jesus, and then I can bring the Bible. Paul's different. He said, we're going to start with the scriptures and we're going to move out from there. We're going to move out from there. I'm going to find people who are open and receptive. And then through their changed life, this culture will be redeemed as God sees fit. So there was his method. Now, he had a message. And if you notice at the end of verse 2 going into verse 3, you see what his message was. He reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer, to rise from the dead, and saying, this Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Messiah, is the Christ. Now, that passage, that verse right there, was the aha for me. Was the aha for me. Here's how it became the aha for me. Before that passage kind of popped in my eyes, I saw the gospel as a track. I was taught these tracks. I was given these gospel tracks. And, and to me, sharing the gospel was giving out these tracks to people. Right? Give out these little booklets. And, uh, of course, in, in those days, <laughs> I used those chick tracks. Anybody know? Who, raise your hand if you know what the chick track is, right? And the one that always freaked me out was, this is your life. Do you know this one? You know, that in, in heaven there's going to be this giant movie theater. And everyone is going to watch a video of every thought you ever had. So you better repent now so that movie is clean. Right? And so I was like, I remember reading that going, wow, that would be horrible if all my friends and my parents were together watching this movie of like, you know, in 1979, you thought this thought, you know, in 1983, you thought this thought is going to be proclaimed on the screen. It's amazing. It's, it's a bad track. But anyways, <laughs> but, uh, but to me, that was like the gospel. That's how you proclaim the gospel. What Paul did is he taught about Jesus from the Old Testament. And I remember reading this going, I could never do that. I could never walk people from Genesis to Malachi showing them what he had to show them, proving that it was necessary for the Messiah to suffer, to rise from the dead, and saying that Jesus is the fulfillment, he's the Messiah. And I remember thinking, there is no way I could do that from the Old Testament. There's absolutely no way. And I remember thinking, I want to learn how to do that. That's, that's what I want to know how to do. Forget these tracks. I want to understand these books of the Old Testament. How do they all fit together? How in the world did Paul do that? 
This was the first aha for me because it was an aha that taught me something. It was an aha that taught me, wow, I, it's possible that my understanding of the gospel is so narrow that when I'm talking to somebody, I actually have no clue what to say. And when it's hostile, it makes me timid. And when it's religious, it just makes me argue. Because I actually have nothing to say. I don't have anything to say. I've got no truth. That, and I started realizing, I don't know if I really could do this. I don't know if I understand Christ, especially in the Old Testament. But that was his message. This is why he would start with people who had a foundation in the Scriptures so that he could sit there and say, I'm going to walk you through this. And I'm going to show you how important it is that Christ suffered, how important it is that Christ died, how important it is that Jesus is that fulfillment. I want you to see this. I want you to catch it. I want you to grasp it. I want to talk it through with you. It really hit me that that was his message. And that I need to be able to do that. But I also need to realize something, that this message is not always going to be received and that there's a hostility and to negotiate it away. And in fact, let's look at this here because there is a response to this. So he's in the synagogue. He is proclaiming Jesus from the Old Testament. And there's two responses. Look at the first response, verse 4. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks and, a few of the leading, and not a few of the leading women. First of all, just notice, remember, every Paul or Luke, as he's writing this, man, this is like the fifth time he's referenced the women. He is just making a point, right? I mean, he is driving this point home. The gospel is not just a man thing. We are not just saying it's just about this. This is for men, women, children, slave, free, Jew, Gentile, black, white. This is the one message for all humanity. And Luke, this is, this, that kind of statement would have been like a little bit of like edgy, you know, if you wanted to be politically correct and you were editing this, you would have taken that line out. Well, I just leave the woman line out of there. But Luke said, no, I want everybody to know, man, even the women were repenting. This is a gospel for all humanity. And so they're persuaded. And what hit me about that passage and why it was an aha for me in verse 4 is that they were persuaded. Now, we understand God opens people's eyes and, and we, we pray for that, right? God opened their eyes. But what you also see is that Paul himself understood how to communicate this in a way that he could put this together for them. And I remember thinking, man, I want to be able to persuade people. For this. I want to know this. i got to understand this. Now, that's one response. But there's a second response. And the second response is hostility. Right? And the second response is the story unfolds. What do we find? I mean, if you start looking at verse 5, you start seeing, man, they're jealous. And these Jewish leaders that hate Jesus, and they don't want to believe that Jesus is the Messiah... They start stirring up people in the town. And remember, we talked about the Pax Romana last week. Rome valued peace based on following their laws. And so the greatest way to get somebody killed was to say that they're, that they're going to cause a riot and that they're speaking against the king or against the emperor. And so what do they do, man? They, they go to this guy's house, Jason. Look at verse 6. Jason must have been one of the guys gotten, who got saved, and it must be Jason's house where this church is now meeting. Because they would get in a home and they'd start meeting there. And so they're going to try to find Paul and Silas to arrest them. And so they're going to go to the place where they're meeting, to their church. Verse 6, it says, And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, These men have turned the world upside down, have come here also. These men who have turned the world upside down. And Jason has received them. Right? This guy's received these guys that are creating a stir in all these villages. 
in all these towns and cities. And they're acting against the decree of Caesar, right? They're, 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 they're opposed to Caesar. They're saying there's another king by the name of Jesus. And the people in the city and the authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. Of course, all this is in the context of a riot that's taking place. And so they make Jason pay bond, right? He's got to pay bond to get out of jail. So he pays his bond and he gets out of jail. Now you see, that's a hostile environment, a response. What's interesting, though, is that Paul didn't preach his message in anticipation of a hostile response. He just preached the message, knowing that the response can be hostile. That is one of the responses. A very good friend of mine is a pastor in New York City. And where he pastors was, was, is still close to where the World Trade Center is. Got a city in Manhattan. And he said, when, when everything came down and all the chaos happened, I had talked with him shortly after the World Trade Center came down. And he said that the Red Cross came to all the churches in the area and said, hey, we need you to uh, uh, be chaplains for people. Okay, now you know the Red Cross, the cross on the Red Cross is for Jesus, right? That's how it originally began. Just remember that, right? That's why in Muslim countries the Red Crescent. They don't put the cross there because they don't want to proclaim the cross. So, so just keep that in mind. So the Red Cross meets with him and says, now listen, here's the thing. We want you to be a chaplain, but you can't talk about Jesus. He's like, what? Like, Red Cross? You know, are we missing something here? Nah, right now, there's so much religious division going on with these people who took the Trade Center down. Just give them hope, but don't talk about Jesus. Why? Why would somebody say that? Well, you got to remember Romans chapter 8, verses 6 and 7. It says, the mindset on the flesh is death. But the mindset on the spirit is life and peace. And then it says, because the mindset on the flesh, does anybody know what the word is? Is what? Does anybody remember? It's hostile towards God. It's hostile. The reality is that we're not dealing with a neutral people out there that are like really tolerant. Tolerance is just really not true. It doesn't exist. It's a hostile world. The mindset on the flesh is hostile. If you have decided, I'm opposed to God, it means you're going to be hostile towards God. You're going to hate God's teaching. When God's word is put before you, you're going to say, no, that can't be right. No, 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 right? It'll be, it'll be aggressive. <clears throat> and that's what's going on here. This is an aggressive thing happening here. They're hostile. The mindset on the flesh is hostile towards God. But the issue on the table is for us to remember that it's hostile, but not to let the hostility change the message. So the Red Cross did in New York. Oh, people will get mad. So if we take the Jesus part out, then everybody will be great. No. The reality is, we're still going to bring this message. We don't want the hostility to create timidity. Okay? We also don't want it to create, what is the word? A jerk. There it is. Right? We just want to be people of the truth. Okay, so let's look. There it is in hostile culture. Let's look now in a receptive culture. In a receptive culture. Because now this riot's forming and things are going crazy. <clears throat> and Paul, Paul was willing to give his life up for the faith, but, uh, but he wasn't running to be a martyr either. 
right? Oh, look, they're killing people. Let me jump in, right? And so, so, so that wasn't him. So look at verse 10. The brothers immediately, immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea, right? I mean, they, they see where this is headed. And so the Christians there said, all right, you know, and it's amazing, you know, I'm, I'm assuming Jason is part of this. He's out on bond. He's still got a trial coming up. But yet, he's part of this group sending Paul off where he could easily say, hey, Paul, you need to go take care of this, man. you got to get me out of jail here. i got to go to court because of you. Now, Jason is part of this, sending the guy out, right? They sent him to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into a Jewish synagogue, right? Because he wants to start with the scriptures. Now, these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see the, to see if these things were so. Many of them therefore believed, with not a few of the Greek women, see, of high standing as well as men. Both cases, you've got leading businesswomen. It's interesting that, that in, in Acts, by the way, the women that keep getting converted are businesswomen. It's very interesting. Just kind of adds to the uniqueness of the, of the narrative. Okay, so you've got a few of the Greek women of high standing as well as men. But when these Jews from Thessalonica learned... At the word of God was proclaimed by Paul at Berea also, they came there too, agitating and stirring up the crowd. Then the brothers immediately set Paul off on his way to the sea, but Silas and Timothy remained there. Those who conducted Paul brought him as far as Athens, and after receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him as soon as possible, they departed. So now they're led away at night, Paul and Silas, they go to Berea. Notice the description of the Bereans says they were noble. Some of your translations might have noble-minded. Interesting, the word noble is a unique term because it's a, it's a term of comparison between people. If you say someone is noble or noble-minded, it means they're actually better than other people. It's an interesting statement. That's really what it means. It's used as a point of comparison between people, and Luke is comparing the Bereans with those in Thessalonica. He went into Thessalonica, and the Jewish leadership argued and attacked Paul, tried to get him killed. The Jews in Berea actually said, hey, that's an interesting passage you just quoted. Let me go study it with you. And they began to unpack this with them. And so Luke's saying, these guys, it was amazing. We're in the synagogue, and they are just hearing the word. Now, you know what's cool about this? Is that if Paul had thought to himself, wow, you know, these missionary journeys are getting rough. Every time I go somewhere, there's someone trying to kill me. I should stop Go take a little stock of this thing and say, okay, what do we need to do to kind of stop the hostility here? And if he started adjusting his message because of that hostility, then he stops proclaiming it and he shows up in Berea and what happens? There's a whole group, there's a whole synagogue saying, teach us, we want to know. He didn't let the hostility make him timid. He just continued to unfold Jesus from Genesis to Malachi. That's what he did. He understood it. He knew how to do it. It's amazing to think about that. And so these guys exceeded the Thessalonians because they received it. Of course, word gets out, and what happens? These people come to try to undo it, right? They're following him. Same thing. Paul always has these people following him around, trying to get him to, to be quiet. But the comparison here is amazing. And then the word noble, I want to point that out to you. He is trying to get a comparison. I thought about this. <clears throat> C.S. Lewis has a book called The Abolition of Man. He's discussing a topic of, of culture and, and, and understanding and, and reasoning, and, and it's a kind of a complicated book. 
But in the book itself, he's analyzing an English textbook, and it's a review of an English textbook. But in, in there, he, he basically says this, and I'm going to summarize it. Lewis says that there, there are two different ways people think about God. Some people want God to shape their experiences. So they're going through a trial, and they say, God, help me understand what's going on here. Other people use their experiences to shape their view of God. God, if you were really love, you wouldn't be bringing this problem my way. The Bereans said, God, just, we want to know you. We want to know your word. Right? We're not standing with our framework saying, this is what it should be. This is what it's supposed to be. And God, you need to measure up to us. They're saying, God, we're going to let you define us. That's what made them noble-minded. What, what role God was in their life and their openness to it. But in this receptive culture, Paul does the exact same thing. He reasoned with them from Genesis to Malachi. And I remember reading this going, man, I want to be able to do that. I want to be able to do this. How do you do that? Now let's go to one more culture here. Let's look at it in a religious culture. We're only going to look at a portion of this. Next week, we're going to dive into this and really attack it aggressively. Um, but let's just look at this, what happens now. Because these guys from Thessalonica are following him, so they've driven him out of Berea, and now he's going to go to Athens. Okay, verse 16. So Paul's driven out there. Team is starting to get thin because, you know, they're getting separated through all these midnight escapes they have to do. And in verse 16 it says, Now while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews, there was his method, right, and devout persons, and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Some of the Epicureans and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him. I lost my plate. Conversed with him. And some said, what does this babbler wish to say? Others says he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. They had never heard of anybody rising from the dead. No god in their pantheon of gods ever rose from the dead. So, like, who's this new one that we're talking about? And they took him, and they brought him to the Areopagus, saying, May we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting? For you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. Now all the Athenians and foreigners who live there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. It's interesting now, he's in Athens. Athens is an amazing city. If you read any of the historical records about Athens... A couple statements that were made, a couple statements made by uh, historians of that age. There's two descriptions of Athens that uh, are made outside of uh, the Bible, but, but at the same time frame. They said that Athens was filled with idols like a field filled with grass. That was one description. Another description of Athens was they said it was easier to find an idol than a human. I was thinking about Las Vegas, when I think about this, if you've ever been through or traveled through Las Vegas, there are slot machines everywhere. And I'm thinking, that must have been like, you know, because like in Las Vegas, everywhere you go. I was driving through Las Vegas one time, I went to a bathroom, and there was a slot machine in the bathroom. It's amazing. Like slot machine, I'm thinking, same thing. Idols everywhere. Paul, it says he's provoked. Literally, he's angry. Now that hit me, I remember studying that, because I was thinking, it is true 
I don't know if you noticed this, but it's summertime, and, uh, and you hear your doorbell ring, and you look out your window, and you see two people in white shirts and dress pants. You get that little uh, stir that goes on, right? You either say, everybody be quiet, right? <laughs> <laughs> no one go near the door. Shh. They'll just ring three times, and they'll go, right? Or sometimes you want to stand up and just uh, go after them. There is something about a religious, false religion that sometimes creates a provoking spirit. And it's why we want to argue, and it's why we enjoy listening to people argue. It's why we enjoy the videos. Oh, guess what? Ravi Zacharias is debating the Mormons. He's going to take them down, right? It's like the Super Bowl for us. (laughs) It's like... Yeah, let's put Ravi up against uh, Richard Dawkins and see what happens, right? I mean, we, we like the debate. There's something about it that pulls this out. Paul is provoked as well. The text is being honest. This religious community is doing something to him. It's doing something to him. But what does he do? He doesn't stand in the middle of the square going, what are you guys, crazy? I'm going to take you down. Just wait, there's going to be a guy, Ravi, who's coming in a few thousand years. He's going to whoop up on you. No, I'm kidding. It's not that. He goes to the synagogue, and he begins to proclaim Jesus, his resurrection from the Old Testament. Then he goes out to the marketplace, and you know what he does? The exact same thing. He sits in this religious culture, and he says, listen, I want to explain something to you. I'm going to walk you through Genesis to Malachi. I'm going to tell you about Jesus. I'm going to tell you about his resurrection. I'm going to tell you what he needs to do. And you know what's amazing is that he has dealt with, now it's really unique because it says that you've got Stoics and Epicureans coming after him or talking to him. Now we have these two mentioned, so I just explained to you about the Stoics and the Epicureans so that you could just know what that means here. A Stoic is, both the Stoics and the Epicureans are a school of philosophical thought. They're both aiming at the same goal which is what they would call peace of mind. You know, everybody really wants that. How do you survive in a tough world? The Stoics had a thought that the way you do it is that you take life one day at a time. The philosophy of a Stoic would be what will be will be. Just take it one day at a time. That's actually a Stoic mentality. Just says things are going to come at you, good things and bad things. Just take them all in stride. Just take them one at a time. And then you'll be at peace. It's called Stoicism. Epicureanism is trying to achieve the same kind of thing, uh, you know, one uh, peace of mind. But they're trying to do it by trying to find a balance between pleasure and pain. And so what they're saying is, hey, listen, go after the pleasure, just don't go after too much. Eat the cookie, but don't eat 12 of them because you're just going to throw up. Right? Too much of a good thing is bad. So the Epicurean philosophy is too much of a good thing can be bad, so be measured, but enjoy life. Stoics, a little less enjoyment. They're a little bit more like Eeyore, like, well, so it's just going to happen. It's going to get one day at a time. And, and the, but the Epicureans are more like, no, go for it, but be measured. And so both have this idea of peace and security and stability through somehow managing this world. That's what they're trying to do. They're trying to manage everything they're facing in this world. Paul's going to go in and he's going to say, now, listen, I need to explain to you Jesus. I need to understand yeah, this world has bad things, but there's a, there, there is somebody who's over this whole creation. His name is Jesus. They called Paul a babbler in here. And I, some translations use the word idle babbler. 
Babbler basically is a term referencing birds, how birds eat. They kind of, you know, their beaks kind of keep going down. And a babbler was a description of somebody just picked up little philosophical tidbits here and there, but they really don't know what they're talking about. In our generation, we call them the Wikipedia people, right? You don't know anything about anything, then you read Wikipedia and you say, well, actually, let me explain this to you. You know, you know you're on your phone, you know, just looking at Wikipedia like you're an expert. Well, let me explain to you Keynesian economics here. Uh, you know, really developed here in this, you know, it's just like we're just picking up little tidbits of facts along the way. And that was, they were just insulting them. You're a lightweight. You just picked up little religious points here and there from Jews and other people. But then other people said, but no, he's introduced this thought of a God who died and rose from the dead. That is weird to us. We'd like to learn more about this resurrection. And so then he goes to the Areopagus, and that whole Mars Hill sermon is a whole sermon on the resurrection. It's interesting. That entire sermon, when he talks about the unknown God and God not being far with him, is how he's explaining the resurrection. And we're going to look at that next week, not today. But what I want us to see here today, so we'll wrap it up here, So I want you to understand something. In this religious context, Paul didn't change. He still said, I want you to understand Jesus. I want you to understand how this whole thing unfolded and what he did and who he is. And the challenge that came for me when I read Acts 17 was I realized something. I had to quit getting my gospel presentation from tracks and I had to start getting my gospel presentation from the Bible. And then I had to go one step further and I wanted to push myself to say, if all I had was an Old Testament, could I proclaim Jesus? Because maybe if I understood Jesus from the Old Testament, my whole New Testament would come alive in a way I've never seen before. And that started me on a whole new quest. And I will tell you this, the more I engage this kind of quest, the more my focus has been not on trying to minimize the hostility or attacking the religiously lost person, but instead just saying, I want to be able to talk to you about this Jesus and who he is and his role. Now next week we're going to see it in detail, but this week I want to just give you three thoughts here to help you. And in these three thoughts, some practical tips because the challenge that I want to put before you is pretty simple. I want to put this challenge before you because I, this was something that, that God used in my life and I'm hoping that, that it would be used in your life as well. Here's the challenge I want to put before you. And this will probably sound like, it's like the total obvious pastoral application. right? This is like about as obvious as it gets here and maybe about as bland as it gets. right? It's not real thrilling here. But it's this. Read your Bible. Okay? Read your Bible. But here's what I want, uh, what I want to do when I, when I give you that challenge. I am not talking about just getting through a daily devotion. What I'm talking about is saying, why don't you try to read your Old Testament from Genesis to Malachi? You might say, oh, I can't do it without this. I get, just stop. Just do it. Because you have two things. There are two incredible things you have at your disposal. I'm going to give you the second one first. There's two things in order. There's the most important things, there's the second most important thing. The second most important thing you have when you read your Bible is you have a pad of paper. And you can write down all the things that don't make sense to you. All of the crazy stuff, like why is this said? Why is that said? And just begin to write them down. 
Because you could go find answers to that stuff. Second, or the first most important thing that you have, besides the second most important, which is a piece of paper, is that you have the Spirit of God in you. And I really do believe God wants you to understand His Word. I don't believe in, He's in heaven going, oh man, I'm going to make this so hard on them. It's going to be like hide and seek. I'm going to take the truth. I'm just going to bury it in all these little places and it's going to be awesome if they can't find it. Right? I don't think God is thinking that way. But I will say this. <clears throat> I have spent a lot of time sometimes searching for random facts on the internet. Okay? Random, useless facts. Who was the co-star in that 1939 movie, whatever, blah, 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 blah? Oh, I don't know. Start looking it up, trying to figure it out. I've done that. I've wasted a lot of time on fruitless searches like that. And if I could take all, have all that time back, I would love to have spent more of it trying to research the complex parts of the Old Testament. So what I want to do is I want to push you a little bit. I don't want to just say I'm going to make this easy. It will be hard. It means less streaming of Netflix probably. It means less time with entertainment, probably more time saying, how about we take one night a week and we just start reading this thing and I, and I come to it and I say, God, open my eyes that I might see it and let me write down every question I have because there are people who can answer those questions. There are people in this room that can answer those questions. But I would just say, start reading this and start asking, how in the world did Paul do this? That's the second, first thing. Second application. I'm going to give you some help in that process. Because there are resources. It's not bad to use resources in the course of your study. I have a resource right here called From Creation to New Creation by Tim Chester. Creation to New Creation by Tim Chester. Making sense of the whole Bible story. He's doing this. He's helping us do this. As you're reading and studying, you can actually refer to this. And he's got it broken down, and the good news is he does it in less than 170 pages. Right? I mean, he's helping you do it. But I would just say this, that that, that kind of process is helpful as a believer because the more we understand how the whole Bible fits together, the more we understand this truth, the more confidence we can have to just say, I want to explain, I want you to see this. The more, more of Christ we can understand, then it doesn't matter if you're with believers or, 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 or seekers in a synagogue or Epicureans and Stoics in an Athenian temple. You know what you're talking about. You can see how this whole thing fits together. Third thing I want to tell you. So the first is, you know, really read your Bible. Second, resource like this or other resources are helpful. If you don't like this one, I can help you find others. Okay? Third thing that I want you to remember. And this is just a little tip for you. Remember, as you're reading your Bible, the Bible is not about you. This is an important thing to remember. It is not the handbook for your life. It is the revelation of God. You get the greatest opportunity to know what God thinks about something, to know how God feels about things. I was thinking as I was writing that point down this week, I was thinking about uh, when Heather and I were dating. And if you, you know, some of you might be in this state or just out of it, freshly out of it, or you might remember this, but you remember when you're first getting to know somebody, you're like hours on the telephone having these long conversations about things. And you're learning all these random facts and all this stuff, and, and you're just in this state, and you just don't want to hang up. 
Because you're just in this, like, you get to know this person, and they're getting to know you, and we get that with God. It's right here. You get to learn about him and engage him and enjoy him. And, 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 and one of the things that, that I think is really beneficial to do is when you approach the word of God to say, God, thank you that I get to know you. Help me know you. Help me understand this. I know some of this stuff might be hard, but help me put it together because it's in that that we're freed from whether it's a hostile, religious, or receptive culture. So, that's my challenge. Next week, we're going to go deeper. We're going to see how Paul explained the resurrection. And, and uh, please come back. You're going to want to see this. This, is, this second part is even more, to me, life-changing than even these first passages are. And it's very powerful. But let's pray here together now. God, I thank you for the glorious truth that you have revealed in your word. I thank you that we get to know it. Lord, help us now as we engage truth to move beyond just an oversimplified gospel or an overcomplex gospel to understanding the height, the depth, the width, the breadth of the love of Christ. Help us to engage in the same way. Help us to be able to see this glorious truth. Lord, it's a challenge. It's going to require some sacrifice. It'll require pushing us to study. It requires pushing us to learn more. It'll require us to, to make some changes in our life. But Lord, it's so worth it. It's worth it to know you and to be known by you. It's worth it to have the stability that comes. It's worth it to have our lives and our worldviews change. It's worth it to be equipped to be able to speak to anybody in any context, whether it's hostile, receptive, or religious. It's worth it. God, may we value this. May your word be worth more to us than anything. Let it be sweeter than the honeycomb. Let it be glorious. Lord, do that work in us that we might stand firm in your word so that we could be equipped to make the name of Christ known in all situations, all cultures, all contexts. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you for joining us at Kishwaukee Bible Church. For more information about our church, please visit our church's website at kishbible.org. That's K-I-S-H, bible.org.